Hello and welcome to another episode of What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where on a fortnightly basis we get together, discuss a random topic, and see if it might just be what our podcast is about. My name is Keith Ramsey and I am joined as always by Peter Eckerley. Hello! And almost always, Matt Grace. Hi. Matt, you've been downgraded to an almost. How does that make you feel? Uh, no different than usual. So, clinically depressed? Technically correct. Both! Both at the same time. Nice. Uh, actually, no, that's accurate. Most people, or at least most times in my life that I felt technically correct, I've also felt clinically depressed. It's a weird combination that they both play hand-in-hand together. Or sometimes just like a jerk. Yeah. I like to call it realist. <laughs> Although most people who refer to themselves as realists are also just assholes. So yeah, no, <laughs> still fits. No, why are you upset? I'm just keeping it real. Oh, maybe a little, so, little bit douchey in there too. I can't think of anyone who's saying I'm keeping it real who doesn't come off as douchey. Yeah, if they refer to themselves as realists, then they're an asshole. If they refer to themselves as keeping it real, then they're a douche. If they say they're a realist who's keeping it real, they're a douchey asshole. You need to leave immediately because your life is in danger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they won't present any physical harm, but they will present enough mental harm that you will harm your own life. <laughs> uh, fuck, that got dark. I'm sorry. Where did, how did this start? Oh, right, because Matt's almost always here. That's that's how this fucking started. <laughs> I mean, on that same topic, I, I guess the talk about is I recently uh, watched or got around to watching Peacemaker, which is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's on my list, so it's presumably by the next time we record, I will be ready to have a conversation about Peacemaker. Not that we're doing Peacemaker next time, but. Peacemaker. The one who makes peace. Uh, it's the character from the Suicide Squad that was done by James Gunn. The show was also written by James Gunn. It's the guy okay. who loves peace so much he'll kill every man, woman, and child he needs to for it. Oh. Uh, it's essentially, as far as I can tell, uh, peak John Cena in that it's John Cena playing the character he has always wanted to play yep. and just never had the chance to. And you can join him on his uh, quest to defeat the evil butterflies, whatever that may be, with his pet and best friend, Eagly, who's an eagle. Dang. And uh, as I've uh, mentioned to Peter before, and now for Matt to hear, the best part of the series is Vigilante. Do with that as you will, and I highly recommend both of you watch it. Duly noted. I will add it to the list. What am I saying I'll add it to the list? I already stated at the beginning of this that it was on the list. It is on the list, and it is going to be watched within a week. It better. Uh, But the one thing I will say about the series uh, that's not in this category of spoiler, I do really think if the DCU, or DCEU, or whatever they want to call it next, uh, if they kind of rebranded their universe around the Suicide Squad in this, I think it could do a really good job of setting up it to stand on its own against the MCU where the peacemaker and the suicide squad, uh, both of them together actually feel like comic book stories. Whereas MCU kind of comes more off as, you know, science fiction fantasy. That's not really in the comics itself. Cause it tries to go for a level of realism. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> they full on just call out the supervillain kite man in the series. 
I enjoy that they're willing to go back to their rogues gallery from years past and point out how ridiculous it is. It's kind of the opposite approach to what uh, Marvel did, where, like, yes, Marvel does make jokes and sillies all the time, but they will actively go back into their rogues gallery and be like, yes, this was a ridiculous character at the time, but we're going to show how they can be realistic and gritty. And they did that with uh, Vulture in uh, Homecoming and took what was generally a fairly goofy character and made him a lot more serious and threatening. So it's nice to see a studio like that recognizing the goof from their past and leaning into it. Yeah, they full on like just call him out, like make jokes about like he's played for a joke. And someone even points out that did a superhero actually have to stop him because shouldn't his weight have caused him to crash anyways because the kite couldn't have supported him? And they were wrong. Superheroes absolutely needed to stop him. People died. People will continue to die. That is truth. Yeah, I kind of just watched Peacemaker only, so I kind of don't have any world news for you guys, so. That's fine. Nothing fun came out that I'm aware of. As I've stated in the past, I refuse to keep track of what's going on in the world, so it would be very unfair of me to get upset at someone else for not doing it. All I I know is that we got the teaser for the next Pokemon games. Oh yeah, I guess something to come with that. Yeah, the new Pokemon game where it's got... The one water starter and the two grass starters. Yeah, it's got a JoJo hair water starter, uh, a grass cat, which the internet is being a creep about, and And Applegator. Yeah, Applegator, which is... Normally I go for the grass starter. If I do pick up this game, I'm 100% picking up Apple Dragon. That's right, I saw these too. Uh, These are the Pokemon that are clearly all just going to end up being fighting type, right? Like water fighting, fire fighting, and grass fighting. Um, If so, yeah, I'm looking into it too. I'm just looking forward to them all being fighting, fighting at the end. Yeah, it's uh, they start off just water, grass, and fire, and then their second form is water fighting, grass fighting, uh, fire fighting, and then their third form is fighting, 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 fighting. They all turn into the same Pokemon at the end, too. All three evolution chains end at the same spot. Not even those three. Every Pokemon that's introduced in that game ends on that final Pokemon. It's the anti-Mew, whereas Mew is the beginning of all Pokemon, and all Pokemon came from Mew. This new Pokemon is the end of Pokemon, and every Pokemon eventually evolves into this one Pokemon. From Psychic to Fighting. Yep. Devolve so much that they're no longer affected by Psychic attacks. They have lost the brain. All to brawn. I mean, I guess that technically means Psychic will work on them. It's uh, very telling that uh, the 1v1 between the first Pokemon and the last Pokemon, the first Pokemon 100% wins because Psychic always beats fucking Fighting-type Pokemon. So it's very fun to me that they evolve into what is technically a worse Pokemon. Also, if everything evolves into a Fighting-type, that just means bird Pokemon become the strongest thing in existence. Yeah. Just an unevolved Pidgey is the most powerful thing when everyone else (laughs) evolves into something that's weak to it. And I did remember a few other things that uh, did come out. I haven't seen, of course, but uh, the Batman is out as of us recording this. Yes, I haven't had a chance to see it, but it's absolutely uh, out and one I look look forward to seeing uh, in the near future. I only learned that it came out today when I heard that one of my coworkers went to see the the pre-screening of it. Yeah, I've been hearing good things, so definitely something I'm going to go see. Uh, and then another movie that yeah. came out uh, that apparently also did very well, Death on the Nile. 
so far that it's getting the third uh, movie in the series. Uh, oh, is that the new Hercule Poirot movie? Yep. Yeah, I'm curious about that one. I won't say I'm looking forward to it as much as I'm looking forward to the Batman, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express was good. Uh, it had some weird parts, like uh, it, you know, 1900s, you know, detective with dubstep music in the movie. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I want to see what the second one th- is uh, with Murder on the Nile, but apparently it did well enough that they greenlit doing a third one. That's pretty legit. Well, from the sound of that awkward silence, it's uh, ringing to me that I think we should get into the topic then. I I think so. What awkward silence? You're going to edit it out. There's going to be no pause there, except now that I've said this, you're neither going to edit out the pause nor my sentence right here. So fuck me, I guess. Exactly. Uh, God damn it. I edit this. Uh, I'm the god of this. You know, if Keith wanted to, he could make us say whatever he wanted. And I was about to say an example, but I'm not going to give him the ammunition of me saying something awful for him to edit in wherever he wants to put it. So oh, no. please, I have so many sound bites, it doesn't matter oh, what you say. I know you absolutely could do that. I'm just not going to make it easier and give you more ammunition. Yeah, he's secretly recording all the time, even when we're not making a podcast. Even when we're not on a call together making a podcast. Like, Keith has mics set up in our homes just in case. Every time I ask him about them, he just says they're for emergencies. And I ask him what the air quotes around for emergencies is, and he just doesn't answer me. So And I never will. I mean, as long as they're for emergencies, it's probably for the best. Yeah, one day they'll save your life and you'll be happy about it. Will they save me from you? And the silence is deafening. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah what are we kinda, talking about today? Well, it's definitely not about the microphones. <laughs> it kind of sounds like it might be about the microphones. <laughs> but before I, I announce the topic, uh, Peter, I want you to say the thing as you always say. Uh, the thing I always say about yeah. how, uh, for those of you who have not yet looked at the title of this podcast, which, as you have well come to know and understand, you are our favorite people who listen to the podcast. I can't say our favorite people, my favorite people. I don't know how Keith or Matt feel about you, but you're my favorite listeners. Uh, and so for those of you who do not yet know the title of the podcast, this podcast is about... The Legend of Vox Machina, the animated series that was backed on Kickstarter and finally came out on Amazon Prime. I don't know why you make me say that, Keith, because as we've stated, you have so many sound bites of me saying that, that like you could take the cleanest one and not make me do that awkward sentence each time. But nah, fuck it. Let's keep doing it where I say the awkward sentence each I time. I mean, hell, who knows? Peter might not actually be doing this podcast anymore, and I just have so many sound bites, I'm just making it like he's in the podcast all the time. The weirdest part is all the sound bites you have about me talking about the sound bites you have and about how you could probably replace me with all the sound bites that you have. Exactly, Peter. The first problem is I'm definitely here for this podcast, but you might just never bring me back for another podcast now that I've talked enough about how I'm definitely still on the podcast. Fuck, I've written myself out of the podcast, haven't I? Only time will tell. (laughs) So, first things first, what did you guys think of it? So, I absolutely loved the intro, where it opens up on a very uh, confident and evidently renowned uh, adventurer group who is called upon by the kingdom to fight some new evil and completely subverts expectations by brutally murdering them all. 
Yep. Uh, and then it's all downhill from there. That's a way to put it, I suppose. In terms of uh, the events that happen in the world, not like quality of show. Mm-hmm. Quality of show, it's still quite good, but yes, the it things was... that happen in the world are pretty bad from that point onwards. You have to say, it was uh, a stellar time watching a show with a very serious plot points, but a very comedic cast that, when you stop and think about it, yes, it is very evident that these are just player characters, and yes, you can see that that action right there, they just rolled a 1. Oh yeah, yeah. that action right there, they rolled a 20. There are... uh, So I would say, to reference back to one of the podcasts we did a while back, this one has a lot of the um, same vibe as arcane in that it's a series that i think stands very well on its own as an enjoyable series but is just so heightened if you're familiar with the source material vis-a-vis D and seeing all those little moments that are clearly situations that happened as a result of playing D yeah. and getting like, turned into a book or like a I'm, show. Uh, I'm familiar with the D, but i'm not so familiar with uh, the because the more precise source material for Critical the Legends role? of Vox Machina. Yeah, this is uh, a critical role of a few of the earlier arcs in the uh, Critical Role uh, Arc One, which we actually get a part in this. Uh, so the Terror of Taldori storyline uh, with uh, uh, the Dragon Man that's terrorizing the city, Kriegs. Uh, Brimsife, the dragon. Yeah. Uh, that is part of an arc that was never actually done on Critical Role. It was when they started playing as a birthday party thing for one of the members. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. And then they decided to start showing it after that arc was already completed. Yeah. That's when they decided to... This might be the kind of thing that they could save and upload to the internet for all to enjoy. Yeah, the Critical Role series, I think anyone... Like within the D and D sphere, knows exactly what Critical Row is, whether they've seen it or not. That's how popular it's gotten. Yeah, I've neither series. seen or listened to it, but I have seen a few hilarious clips on YouTube. Oh yeah, and we get like a, some of them are like close, pretty much like faithful recaps of it. But ultimately, the series is kind of a greatest hits of some of the arcs, and not so much the full story as obviously certain things had to be changed because it's not a D&D story, so they had to change things. So instead of Bigby's hand, it's Scanlan's hand, obviously, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it still does a really good uh, job of the story. Uh, I will say, Rough Bet, because I did go through all the original uh, first campaign of Critical Role, there's a lot of things that happen that a lot of it's very mundane, but it's like a slow buildup to the characters. It's definitely not like a uh, gripping 100% of the time. Because we do get the downtime of them shopping, which is sometimes an episode. But uh, I think that ended up being a negative for me, where it's very cool to see, but it didn't feel fulfilling as a story because of it. That's fair. So I I have watched a lot of the original Critical Role uh, back in the day, but it has been long enough for me that my memories of it are clouded at best. Mm-hmm. So this... I felt was very solid. Uh, thinking back, yeah, there are definitely some details that were missed and some character growth that we didn't get to see, but I'm alright with it. I still found this show thoroughly enjoyable. With oh it. yeah, it was definitely enjoyable. It's just because in this uh, series, we get the two-part episode, which is the 
uh, Brimscythe arc, and then we pretty much go into the Whitestone arc, which is, yeah. uh, I believe, the fourth or fifth arc that happens in the campaign. <laughs> so there's like yeah, a lot of character like building that they kind of, in a way, skip. I, I know why it wasn't, but uh, uh, there there was another party member in the originals, uh, Tiberius, which was a uh, Dragonborn, which isn't in the story, which I understand why. Because he ended up leaving uh, due to other personal reasons from the series. So it kind of, I guess, it's weird to have him in there. But there's also plot points later on that even though he left kind of revolve around him, which I was like, are they going to skip those? They omitted certain characters, such as uh, they actually hire people to kind of work their uh, keep that are actually pretty interesting characters themselves that uh, sadly don't seem to be present. Yeah. From what I gather... If they continue on into another season, I can easily see them bringing in other side characters oh, definitely. to help fill out the roster. It's just that uh, one of my favorite arcs in the storyline is uh, Scanlan ends up trying to buy drugs for one of these people <laughs> when they go to another uh, country that the guy's from. And he thinks it's drugs, but he finds out much later that it's just like a seasoning. But he still goes through the process of buying it as if it were drugs, so the person like really upsells him on spice. Oh my god. And he comes god back man. and the guy's like, why are you just, it's not drugs, it's just normal spices. <laughs> <laughs> but that got like, because their keep and Iman pretty much just gets, you know, completely wrecked, which is barely hinted at the end of this season that they're going into the, the dragon arc, which was kind of set up. And I feel like, or how do you set up the character that's in their keep that asks them to go get spice? Which I know, yeah. it's a very stupid, like, it's a one, like, little joke arc thing that, like, it's not big to the main story, but it's still, like, a fun character moment. Yeah, it makes sense that that would be something that you miss out on, because with any kind of series that that's that long running and that in-depth, there are invariably going to be small moments that are hugely significant to individual members of the audience, but just aren't going to resonate with the audience as a whole and aren't going to be seen as major character moments, so it's, they're just naturally going to be cut. And I'm sure every single fan of Critical Role who watched this series had one of those moments of, I can't believe they didn't include Blank. Blank was my favorite moment in the entire, entire series. Oh, yeah. The only thing I would say that was hurt by the fact that they went straight into the Briarwood arc uh, with Whitestone is, so when the series starts for like what was being aired online, we start with uh, the Mind Flayer arc which is a pretty good one, but obviously for reasons they clearly can't do Mind Flayers, so they would have to heavily rework that to do something else. Uh, but there was hints, uh, so the, the Shadow and the, you know, the corruption, the demon-possessing Percy. Yeah. That yeah. was heavily foreshadowed and, like, getting hints here and there for, like, a full two arcs, and then the Briarwood show up, and then you start getting it, where in this one it kind of just feels rushed, and the threat of it just doesn't seem as significant as it did through the original arc. But again, that's a, you know, podcast series that, you know, has like 200 something episodes that they were able to develop a lot of character stuff on that has the great payoff that doing a few episode series, uh, 12 episodes can't really do sufficiently, I guess in itself. Yeah. Yeah. It was the kind of thing where if they actually did include those kind of details in that buildup, we never would have gotten the payoff in this series because they wouldn't have even made it to the Whitestone arc. They would have ended well before they got there, and maybe ended with the tease of them starting the Whitestone arc instead of ending with a resolution to it. Exactly. And so they just would have spent the first season building up stuff without the guarantee that they would have a second season to pay it off. 
Yeah, and uh, to be fair, at the same time, the Mind Flayer arc is all underground in caves, which also doesn't really do good for a storyline. No. So, I do have to throw in my little bit of two cents with my limited exposure to uh, Critical Role. That I found the first two episodes, the uh, Blue Dragon Brimscythe arc, if you want to call it an arc, um, did a really good job at establishing who the characters are. Oh, yeah. Doesn't give too much of a backstory to them, so you don't really get to know them right off the bat. You just know, okay, this is a very ragtag, uh, very somewhat hit me immature group of mercenaries who just want the money yep. and to have a good time. But uh, as the series does go on, you do get, a, or I felt that you got more familiarity with the characters. You started to learn more about them. And yeah, I do agree with what you said that demon possessing Percy, it didn't seem like too much of a thing. It's like when they first introduced it, it looked like, oh, maybe it was just some secret power Percy had that he was just keeping a secret from everyone else. Yeah, there's a couple things like that where they didn't have the time to set stuff up properly, mm -hmm. so it felt a little awkward and out of place. Like, uh, when the party all leaves towards Whitestone and Pike chooses to stay behind because she needs to go to the temple to fix her soul or whatever... Um, fix her connection to the Everlight, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, and Grog has this big, I'll go with you because you're my best friend and I'm not going anywhere without you. It it felt very much like a tell-not-show moment in TV, where it was they're telling you that Grog has this very deep connection with uh, Pike and isn't as connected with the rest of the party, but it didn't feel like they had the actual setup to establish that within the show itself. Yeah, like, that I will agree with is uh, when he said that Pike was his best friend... I was like, uh, okay, didn't really see that coming, but all right, I'll buy it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And that was a whole little bit, too, that would have been nice with, I guess, a little more explanation and character background going into it. Because, sure, it was evident near the beginning that uh, Pike was having a bit of trouble with her holy powers. But, like, with me having no background in Critical Role, I was like, okay, maybe they're just, uh, like a new paladin or something. I don't know. Maybe they're just having a rough time with their spells. Oh, yeah. And the reason uh, to kind of pull the veil back a bit, the reason that Pike leaves is actually because it was kind of inserted into the campaign because she had to leave to work on a show that was in a different city. So they had okay. to write Pike out of the story. And when she shows up as like, you know, the magical form, uh, she actually came back to the city while she was off uh, shooting uh, for a break or whatever. So she came back and they used that as like, oh, she's projecting herself as a way to put her back in until she had to leave again. And that's when she disappeared again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, that is very much the vibe I got while watching it. Like, even having the limited uh, memory of exactly what was going on in the world, it very much so plays out like they're writing a player character out of the story because the player can't make it to the D&D &D sessions. And then the astral projection is them writing the character back in because she's available again. I did, I did really enjoy that plot point where after their first uh, combat encounter with the Briarwoods and Pike was injured, Pike assuming that she got cursed and that's why she can't connect with the Everlight. 
Um, and then that leading into her realizing that she's not being true with herself and who she is, and that's why she can't communicate with the Everlight. That was a nice... I liked that part of the story. Oh, yeah, I definitely found her character growth uh, during this arc was super enjoyable. It just felt like it wasn't very well set up and did very much come across as Mm -hmm. this was something that happened in the world of the D&D game and less inside the game itself. It wasn't her being written out because she actually had to do something. It was her being written out because the player was unable to make a session. So that's just how it felt. Yeah. Which is how it was, so it makes sense. It's just an unfortunate mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, and that would actually be a good uh, spot to talk about the characters themselves. So we have uh, Vex and Vax, Scanlan, Percy, Grog, uh, Pike, obviously, and yep. Keyleth. And it kind of feels to me like they're setting up Keyleth to be like the main character of the whole storyline if they continue, which I expect they would. I don't know if that's what you guys felt. Uh, yeah, I... I also definitely got that vibe. Less so in the early episodes, but uh, there was a couple key moments that very much felt like they were setting up Keyleth. Uh, like, the scene where they call on Keyleth to cast the light spell to save them from the specters because uh, Pike can't use her magic for whatever reason. Uh, well, at the time, it's because her magic's not working and she believes her connection with the Everlight's been broken. Or the scene when they're on top of the ziggurat and she casts the sunlight spell to defeat the vampires. There was a couple key moments where it definitely felt like they were setting up Keyleth being the main character, even if it is a story about a party and their adventures together. Um, It definitely got that vibe, but for all we know, that's just how this particular season played out. And maybe the next season will focus more so on Grog as a character. And he'll feel a lot more like the main character or something like that. I mean, all the characters do get their own arcs within the storyline. And this was obviously Percy's arc. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, it didn't feel so much that she was being put into more of a main character position. To me, it felt more like because we got that little bit where she can't return home until she proves herself or something. So it was more development on like she's growing as an individual improving herself because she has a duty elsewhere that she needs to fulfill at some point in the future yeah she has you to said go duty <laughs> but yeah uh, her plotline is uh Keyleth is supposed to be the next leader of the Arashari uh, so what she has to do is she has to go out and reform an alliance with the other Ashari clans as like a kind of like a ritual of sorts and then return back to her land uh getting okay. certain totems from the other clans Okay. This definitely came across as more of like a uh, Amish Rumspringa type situation where she just has to go out into the world and become an adult and then she can come home. But maybe they'll address that in season two if they focus on her character a bit more and talk about the specifics of what she needs to do to grow up. Yeah, and I definitely say like it's probably Pike, Percy, and Caleb to get the most development story-wise. Uh to be fair, even in the campaign uh, when they were doing it on Critical Role, uh, Scanlan did not really get character development until like very far into the series. Well, that's because Scanlan is he's a bird. Un- unfortunately, he's a very two-dimensional character at this point in that he just, yeah, as Matt said, is a bird and plays his bard like a traditional bard. Yep. Um, so there's not a huge room for growth, but uh, there presumably will be as the character grows. Uh, a character that I feel was definitely 
very like removed from the forefront that was a very active character in the storyline uh was oh man my brain's just turning off gilmore gilmore was a very like big part in like the series on critical role to see him like just get like sidelined for like only two brief appearances really or three throughout the episodes was very disheartening uh who is gilmore Exactly. The shopkeeper. The okay. shopkeeper who has yes. a very flirtatious relationship with Vex? Vax? I forget which one. Vex. Uh, Vex. Um, Vax. Yeah. Vexaldon. Uh, Vexalia and Vaxeldon. I'm going to be honest. Knowing their full names does not help me know which one's which. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, speaking of Vex slash Vax, that is another one that I felt was slightly underused uh in that uh vax i'm going with vax uh his whole character art seemed to just a uh, character arc seemed to get boiled down to has feelings for keyleth end of character arc yeah uh like he didn't seem to have a lot of progression outside of that which mm-hmm. is a little bit of a bummer um but that is another one who i feel like with a second season could absolutely get a better focus and have more growth. Yeah, that's what I really yeah. hope. Like, if I had to have, like, one wish for the series moving forward, I think they need to slow it down a little bit. Yeah. I feel like this one was a lot of a rush because they wanted solid payoff from a season one to ensure that they could get a season two. But hopefully now that they've proven what kind of show it is, if they do get a season two, they take them more time and focus more on the characters and less so the plot. Well, I think they could do both. It's just like this one, I felt like a lot of my problems with it felt like they were rushing through things. So like the uh, Vax and Keyleth relationship seems very rushed and it kind of made his character kind of be one dimensional in a sense. Yeah, Uh, although I I still did get the feeling from him that like he was one of the more mature members of the group. He he seemed more mature and level headed than the others, except for Bolt, except for Baltag. (laughs) I don't know fully about that, but I think if we had to go down a list of like the mature characters of the party, it's Percy and Vex. Percy and Vex are definitely the most yep. mature. Vax is, uh, when he he's comes... not flirting with the shopkeep, he's uh, one of the more serious individuals. Yeah, he kind of comes off as edgy serious, I guess. But I think mm. he, a lot of the heavy lifting for making him seem like he's very serious is because he's in the same party as Grog and Scanlan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh to just clarify my earlier statement a little bit, when I say I want them to focus more on the characters and less on the plot, I don't mean I don't want plot to happen. It just, for me, this first season felt like it was very much so every episode was just about driving the plot forward and less so about having characters grow. And I just want it to be a bit more equal of a spread and not to fo- focus fully on having the plot constantly move forward. Yeah, we That's don't have to have the uh, shopping or downtime parts of the campaign turned into episodes. Yeah. But spending some time to take an arc that could be more than three episodes and stretching it out a bit so you can focus on how the characters are handling the situations definitely wouldn't fucking hurt. Yeah. So do you guys have a character that you uh, really enjoyed in this one? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> can you guess who it is? I'm going to say it's Scanlan or Vax. Uh, actually, no. My favorite is Grog. Grog, that's fair. Good man. Grog is also my favorite. It's just, there's something so enjoyable about, uh, 
a solid himbo character. And that's exactly oh what fucking Grog is. Like, like near the end, uh, I think one of my favorite moments was uh, it's like he's fighting the vampire. He's like, what are you doing? You're just swinging wildly. If I can't see where I'm swinging, neither can you. <laughs> Yeah, if I don't know what I'm swinging at, you don't know what I'm swinging at. And then he completely raditz his uh, Silas. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a couple of really great moments with Grog. Like, uh, him getting increasingly frustrated about the fact that he's not allowed to fight things. Uh, I think the moment that, like, sealed it for me that he was going to be my favorite character was in the fucking second episode when they actually have their fight against uh, uh, Brimscythe. And it's them kind of losing repeatedly while they figure it out and Grog constantly being told to run away and then it's just Brimscythe gets planted on the ground, can't fly anymore and Vex just turns to uh, Grog and is like, alright Grog what do you want to do? And he's just like I want to fucking rage! And uh, (laughs) that was the moment where I was like, yep, this is officially my favorite character because that was explodes the dragon's head. There were a lot of moments up until that where you could see the D&D that was hiding behind it and like you could see the moment where someone did something poorly and that was clearly a failed role or something Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the first moment where I didn't see a show at all I fully saw a character sitting at a table playing a barbarian who has not been able to have solid combat yet this fucking session yeah. and then he's finally like alright it's combat he's of- on the ground you can do whatever you want yeah, partially maybe because of the scenarios, but also partially because the party doesn't want the barbarian murdering everything and making their life hell. True. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's stuff like that. Moments when you can fully peel back the outer layer and just see the D&D happening beyond were some of my favorite moments in the entire fucking series. That's fair. Uh, another classic, well not classic example of that, but another perfect example of that uh, is later on when they're trying to uh, break into the house where uh, Percy's sister is being kept and it's uh, Vax at the back door trying to pick the lock and yep. you can just tell it's a series of fucking ones being rolled repeatedly yep. where they can't pick the lock, they can't <laughs> break down the door and eventually it's just the DM intervening and be like I don't care how bad your rolls are, I'm getting you in this and it's just a guard opens the door and dumps piss on them and it's just <laughs> yeah. like yeah, that's what it fucking takes. That many fucking terrible rolls for you to get through the door. Yeah, it, it, they actually downplayed it a bit in this show because they couldn't spend as much time as they did in the fucking campaign trying to get through that door because it was <laughs> a lot of ones. I'm not kidding. They spent yeah. a good, like, 30 minutes trying to get through that door. Oh, my God. Yeah, they even, like, another, like, continuing that, you could tell that this was something that, like, Vax was upset about for the whole fucking day because they get to the fucking cell and they're like, alright, Vax, pick the lock. And he immediately picks the lock and is like, see, I could pick locks. That door was just fucking cursed or something. The, the, like, the rest of the sh- series, they kept alluding back to the cursed door. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, little moments like that where you can clearly tell this wasn't written in as a part of the plot. This was a moment of pure unequal like unadulterated D and D that just it's, was such comedy gold. It got carried over word for word into the fucking series. Yeah, it's Those just the characters. Yeah. And, and yeah. someone actually went through uh, the series and you can find this on Reddit. They actually took all the scenes where stuff happened and actually sh- like found the corresponding roles that the characters actually got in the campaign and uh, put them together. Nice. I got to find that. 
But yeah, I think for me, Scanlan's always the funniest character. Not necessarily my favorite. I think my favorite, uh, and this is a bit bleeding over from the campaign itself, but Vex. Yes. Vex is a great one. I feel like she was underutilized in the series, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of her in this one. Yeah, hoping that in the future they're going to flesh up more char- like the other characters a bit more that didn't get the chance, mm-hmm. and at the same time, like kind of slow down the story so we get that big buildup. Uh, like uh, we already mentioned before, the relationship with uh, Vax and Keyleth was a slow burn that kind of started getting hints at this point in the campaign. But I, I again, can't really fault them because they had a limited amount of episodes and they had to start somewhere. And even I'll admit that the first arc probably wouldn't have been the best option. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was actually very pleased with was I thought they were going to go the friendly for everyone route with this series. And I was uh, actually shocked to see, like, when the first, like, you know, fuck got said or any of the nudity. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. yeah. Like, the moment I the first... first F-bomb dropped and I was like, oh, so this isn't just a show for families. I immediately felt relief just because this is the kind of series where it definitely helps to be able to cover that material and not dance around it. I mean, you have a character like fucking, Ke- uh, not Keely, Scanlan in here. And... It's just, it's gonna hamper it if you're constantly holding yourself back to keep it child-friendly. Yeah, I was, I gotta admit, I was a little skeptical going into it, watching it, because, like, I pull it up, I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's just sit down. But as soon as, uh, like, that party of, uh, renowned adventurers just started getting exploded and ripped apart one after the other, I'm like, oh, okay, they're going all the way in on this. Oh yeah, there's definitely like some really gore, like fucked up stuff that does happen in the campaign. <laughs> that like this just makes me happy that we're going to get the full thing of those. Oh, just like the torture scene too. With the uh... oh, what was the guy's name? Percy's friend, Archibald. Archie, yeah. Yeah, Archie. Yeah, when. Uh... Like, his ear was just slowly getting ripped off. Like, oh, that. That made me cringe. Almost gag. Yeah, they did a really good job of meeting the expectations from the campaign. Because, obviously, the players mm-hmm. themselves are, like, kind of, like, swearing and joking around and stuff and do some ridiculous oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. the fact that, like, as we said, like, there's scenes in this that, like, oh, that's D&D 100%. I just does a really good job of transitioning not just the story itself but the players in a sense mm. in the story um another one of those moments where like so over the first couple episodes there was lots of moments that made me realize that this was definitely not a family show this was uh, a show that was geared towards an adult audience but uh a scanlan song scanlan. A scanlan song of uh love beads that fucking came on, and I was like, oh, no, they're actually, like, fucking serious about this not being for little kids. Alright, good to fucking know. <laughs> good idea, but not now. Yeah. Well, ever since that song, I've just had the... the tune of Ring My Bell stuck in my head. Don't know why. I'm a little upset that uh, the Critical Role theme song wasn't used in any aspect. Even, like, just, like, the... Uh tune of it would have been great yeah it is a bit odd that they chose not to include that in any way considering the rights to it shouldn't be a too much of an issue because it's literally the cast member singing it yeah 
but uh, uh, second season was greenlit for this as well, by the way. So awesome. That's very good. Maybe they'll use it in season two now that they have people's attention and have potentially drawn more viewers to Critical Role. What I'm hoping is they uh, tone up the weird a little bit and like get it a little bit weirder uh, and slowly start scaring away the fans they earned in season <laughs> one. That's I mean, what I would hope for. <laughs> there is a lot of like stupid weird stuff they can do because there, there's like, a bunch of like guest characters that came into the show that did things that like just imagining them showing up on the screen like there's a later on a wizard they find that uses candles that explode and he's a necromancer so he gives candles to skeletons who run at enemies and explode but he also has a broomstick that vex cons him out of by saying it was destroyed yep Uh. that all sounds perfectly valid the kind of shit i would love to see in a season two uh, and I'm a little upset because there's one thing that I think that I, they should kind of put in there, uh, which is, uh, I guess Peter would know about this, but Matt wouldn't. Uh, so all the characters do have kind of magical items that they started off with. And uh, Liam O'Brien, who plays uh, Vex, or Vax, I mean, uh, has... A snake belt. No, he has really busted boots in the campaign. Because he has, like, these boots of haste that give him, like, so many extra actions as a rogue. Oh. And for the, like, there's a, kind of, there's a running joke for the campaign where uh, Matt Mercer was always trying to get rid of the boots. Because he realized they were too powerful, but he didn't just want to take them away. <laughs> so he kept trying to get rid of them. And that's kind of, like, a fun running joke that, like, his boots being powerful. That I'm kind of upset we didn't see anything for. Yeah, that is one of those things that... It would have been nice to have seen some of that, some references to some of the more running jokes from the series. Or, like, even just, like, a little joke towards, like, maybe he, like, needs to go back for his boots or something. It's like, I gotta go back for his, like, why? They're just stupid boots. Like, no, they're magical to me, or something like that, right? Or just, like, referencing the boots. Just, like, setting up, like, the boots. Like, not even, like, showing them being super powerful. Just having him refer to them as his lucky boots just once, so that season two, they can start to play around with that shit. That would have been a really nice detail for them to include. Yeah, his snake belt's another good thing, though, because it does come up a few times. Yeah, I gotta admit, the one time when he used it in the series, like, the few times we've encountered that in our own D&D campaigns that I took part in, I'd never thought of using it as a distraction. Yeah, you can do a lot of things with a snake belt. Or a reconnaissance tool. Yeah, if you can speak with it. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things where it uh, scales off of creativity. The more creative you are with your use of it, the more powerful it becomes. Yeah. Which tend to be the most powerful D&D things. Yeah. Although I am kind of curious now, because Matt, you haven't, like, do you know anything about the Critical Role campaigns, or are you just aware of it? I'm just aware of it, pretty much. So I would be curious to see what your ideas on uh, where the story's going. <laughs> mm. Sorry. <laughs> well, because I, I feel like the series ends with a really good cliffhanger that if you know the series, you know what arc's coming up. But I'm curious to see if like, Matt's thoughts are based on how the series has been so far. What, what do you yeah. think is going to happen? Well, seen. A few dragons flying towards the castle, so something with the dragons is definitely coming up again. And, uh, I do have to say, 
the page I brought up to just pull up the cast's names, just so I could remember who who was. Most specifically, Vex and Vax. Yep. Um, there's a little uh, image of the Vox Machina, Vox Machina crest that I just happened to notice, and it looks like it has a scale of a blue, a green, a red, a white, and a black dragon on it. How interesting. And uh, the last frame of the series was a close-up of a red dragon's face, if I'm not mistaken. So I assume that they're going to somehow manage to kill the dragons that are coming and save the kingdom yet again. A fair assessment. Actually, that reminds me of another thing that I felt also kind of came off a bit weak compared to how it was in the series, and that's uh, the king abstaining the throne and turning it into a council. Yeah, that kind of just like seemed almost like an afterthought. Uh... Yeah, he had like three scenes, mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, I kind of suck at this job, don't I? Cancel will take over. Yeah, and literally uh, two of my three scenes, you saw me memeing around and fucking up the city, so... I suppose I should probably abdicate the throne so that someone can maybe do good in two mm-hmm. out of their three scenes rather than one out of three of their scenes. Yeah, which And then to top it all off, it's immediately overshadowed by the shadows of dragons looming overhead. Yeah, uh which uh to clarify in the series too, like uh the king came off as like perfectly like good at his job and actually cared about the people, but we didn't get uh those build up scenes with him because throughout the whole series there's actually just two incidences where he pretty much causes a problem and it's yeah. not through his own will he gets mind controlled by the briarwoods and the other one is granted, he accidentally employed a dragon granted he did show a bit of kingly regalness or kingly attitude or whatever you want to call it when he initially started to question the briarwoods like maybe i should send some soldiers down to your uh domain and see what's going on and then he just kind of got a Vampire, vampiric seduced, seductioned. Yeah, if I had to say any character got like the worst end of the stick, it was definitely Uriel in this yeah. season. Yeah, but I, I can certainly see uh, their intent or why that was the way that it happened. Because their intent was obviously to focus on the main cast of the group Vos- Vox Machina. Oh, yeah. Because they're the main draw of the series, obviously. Oh, completely correct. Of the TV show, anyway. Yeah. I don't. I don't know about the critical role campaign in the whole. Yeah, there, there's a few characters. Just like obviously they couldn't get their full treatment because of the nature of it. Uh, Kima's another example of a character that just doesn't get like their full situation. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, it's just, as we've said multiple times at this point, it just comes down to the nature of the amount of time they had in their show and what they chose to focus on. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, and I'm not saying that this was the wrong choice, but from what I can tell, they chose to focus on ensuring that there was a season two. So they focused on the kind of things they knew would draw people in. So the main party gets their growth. Uh, romance always gets a little bit of interest, so they have a bit of a lot of references to the Vax and Keyleth situation, and then they focus on the Whitestone arc rather than any of the earlier ones, because the Whitestone's probably the easiest sign of good versus evil, uh, at least out of the earlier arcs. Yeah. 
Well, I do have to say, now that I'm looking at the character list and uh, remembering some things, I'm a little upset that they didn't do more with Trinket. Oh, the bear? Bear. Yeah. He essentially had two cameos beyond that because they just didn't bring him inside the keep and didn't bring him with them to Whitestone. Hey, Vex is a bear, or Vex has a bear companion. When they went to see the king, uh, bear has to sit outside, unfortunately, can't come into the castle. But when they come out of the castle, they see the guards petting the bear and playing with them. Yep. Oh, yeah, Trinket's great. Uh, actually, here's something fun for you guys. Uh, so, Matthew Mercer obviously did the voice of uh, Silas, uh, yep. but he also voiced Trinket. Oh, uh, nice. Huh. I mean, I guess to be fair, he's always voiced Trinket. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, another, another fun fact: uh, Matt Mercer, uh, his likeness appears in every single episode. There's a Easter egg character who looks like Matt Mercer in every single episode of the series. Wait, really? Usually yeah. hiding in the background somewhere. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's a good way to have him involved because, like, he did voice every single character in the series up to this point. So, limited true. to like just voicing a few characters here and there. Yeah, and he's got quite the vocal talent to like switch up so i mm-hmm. do expect him to probably play a prominent character in each of the series i can even see him playing the whispered one when that comes up yeah i can definitely see him playing the whispered one i mean obviously i can see him playing the whispered one <laughs> i have distinct memories of him playing the whispered one just like every other <laughs> character in the series it's weird how i can picture a character doing a voice i've seen them doing before that's kind of crazy yeah, I'll, I want to learn more about the Whispered one. See what happens with the rest of that. Because that, that orb of darkness that got summoned at the Ziggurat was uh, just downright creepy. Yep, the anti-magic orb at that, too. That sucked the guy yes. in. Sucked yeah, that was, uh, that was disturbing. But yeah, uh... It's not really a spoiler to tell you, but if you want to get an idea of what the Whispered One is, they're called, he's called the Whispered One because they can't use the D&D name of the character, which is Vecna. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I definitely look forward to doing that for that storyline to pop up, but obviously it won't be the next season unless they rush through the next arc, which I really hope they don't. Uh, they could, but yeah, hopefully they don't. Yeah, no. Now that they have... Uh... Yeah, so the ground established for which the characters stand on. I hope they really flesh things out more in the next season. Because uh, someone like me, who, uh, despite being very interested in the, the content, will probably never listen to Critical Role. It is I, I want as much story as I can in this. Yeah, it's a very big time commitment. I will fully admit that. Yeah, I have... Uh somewhat fallen off the critical role train not because i don't enjoy it just because it is such a massive fucking commitment yeah like two uh, to three hour episodes yeah so this is i a nice way for me to kind of get back into it and refresh myself on what's been happening so i hope they do kind of take the time and go through each of the arcs uh with a good amount of detail at the very least yeah the only problem is how long we're gonna have to wait for the next season uh, for that, I don't think they've given us an exact date. That is exactly planned. the next pandemic. That's when we get it. Oh, no. now that the now that I've been introduced to this, it's going to be painful to wait for it. 
also, I just double checked, and uh, the first campaign, so what this story's doing, the Vox Machina stuff, uh, is 115 episodes, and the uh, episodes take between three to six hours. Ooh, jeez, okay, yeah. Yeah, no. Yep. I think I'll stick to uh, just watching The Legend of Vox Machina as it airs. To, to give you a bit of a frame of reference, YouTube Matt, if clips. you... If you listen to an hour a day, it would take you well over a year to get through the series. Just the first campaign. Yeah. yeah. I, I had the benefit of when I started Vox Machina, there was only a few episodes up. So I was able to listen to it as it came out. So I didn't have the, oh god, I gotta watch like a hundred and something episodes to get the story. <laughs> so if anything, if you find the story interesting, I'd recommend, if you don't want to go through the grind of going through campaign one and two just jump on campaign three because usually the campaigns don't require you to know the previous campaigns but they'd have little fun easter eggs and nods to previous campaigns if you know what happened Mm -hmm. so i guess the uh orb and the whispered ones matt's big layout thing he's interested in what about you peter uh i kind of already said i'm because i'm at least loosely familiar with the plot. The thing I'm less interested in is uh, plot development and more so than focusing more on character development uh, come season two. Like, there are different plots I would be interested to see. I don't want to get into specifics and spoil it for anyone who doesn't know, but character growth is the thing I want to see the most from uh, season two. Yeah, I think that's my big problem, too. Like, I could say, like, oh, I'm very looking forward to, like, a certain arc popping up. But at the same time, it's, well, they didn't really hint at it, unfortunately, for certain things. Like the Meat Man thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which it has to happen, honestly, because it's a very crucial thing for some reason. It is. Yeah, that's kind of the best way to put it. It's crucial for some reason. <laughs> I am intrigued, yet also uh, terrified. The only thing you need to know, Matt, is the Meat Man cometh, and he will. He's a little more terrified now. But if I had to pick something that was hinted at currently, uh, I think the biggest thing right now is actually Pike's backstory, which is hinted at. That or Vex and Vax's backstory, which is hinted at in the opening credits. Yes. Because we actually do get a lot of backstory stuff in the opening credits. Yeah. So what did you guys think about the music used for the series? I think it was fitting. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't super remember any of the music, but that's generally a good sign for the music. If the music sticks out and and is uh, very memorable, at least in my experience, it generally means it was a little jarring. I wouldn't say there were any any earworms to say, but it was good and it did fit the series. Other than Love Beats. Love Beats was a earworm. (laughs) Mm. Hmm. At least for me. It was a worm in another way. You naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> worms, it's in there. Worms, it's way in there somewhere, somehow. <laughs> you gotta stop, Matt. It's gonna get appropriate. <laughs> they might not be, uh, they might be willing to have no children listen to their, or watch their series. It would be alright if, nah, I shouldn't say that. Children shouldn't listen to our podcast either. It's, 
it's a problem if people are letting their kids listen to our podcast. I, I mean, by the rules of production, the fact that we've said fuck at least more than once on this means we automatically get the 18 rating. Yeah. So, fuck it. We're not for kids either. I guess you can say whatever you want about your love beads and where you want to stick them, Matt. Uh-oh. I didn't say anything about love beads. I said things about worms. <laughs> worse. So much worse. Sorry. Uh, on the uh, topic of scandling, though, uh, how about just 1v1? Oh, that against was... uh, Captain or whatever his name was? Yeah. I gotta say, that was actually intense. This whole uh, escapade of storming the building. I yeah. do enjoy how he managed to win the fight by shooting lightning from his crotch. That was a very <laughs> bard moment. <laughs> And that's essentially what did happen to the thing, too. It was him got caught in a singular situation by himself and had to get his way out. Yeah. And deflecting all the sword swings with his big purple middle finger. Yeah, I think that might have been my favorite action set piece in the series. The fights at the end were pretty good, but it was very, like, divided and... Not a lot of attention put to anyone. The thing that would have came closest was probably the Vex versus Vax fight. But yeah, Scanlan versus uh, the captain of the guard was probably the best. Uh, for my favorite moment, so I think I've already stated that my favorite moments were the ones where you could kind of pull back the curtain and see the D&D happening behind that. For a moment that wasn't that, that was probably my favorite for just like normal scene moments. Uh, was probably them in the room as it fills up with acid, and uh, Grog diving down to the bottom yeah. of acid to pull a lever, stripping naked first. That was that was a pretty fun moment. I enjoyed that. Oh, so many of the moments that I liked were Grog moments too. Oh yeah, he's great. Like when when they were in their own keep and being attacked by the uh, the wraiths or whatever they were, and uh, Grog was in the room with Pike. And they were trying to get out, but Grog's like, Ugh, but I don't want to damage your shrine. <laughs> and then Pike's yeah. like, go ahead, do your Grog thing. Or just fucking Scanlan making a sandwich with his hand because they told him to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the earlier moment where they're trying to break into, uh, I think it's Brim, uh, not Brimsythe, um, Krieg's house because they're following someone else. And, uh, Scanlan's like, alright, you stay here, keep watch, I'm gonna go get the others. And Grog's just like, and a sandwich? And Scanlan's like, no, I'm not getting a sandwich. And then Grog just goes full fucking puppy dog eyes, and Scanlan's like, alright, I'll probably find a sandwich for you too, don't worry. And then the payoff, Vax taking his toothpick so he can pick the lock, and yeah. Grog losing the contents of his sandwich. Yeah, the, the great thing about Grog is, like, most of his jokes do involve, like, food or killing things. Uh, I think it would have happened already storyline-wise, so they're probably not going to put it into the uh, show itself, but Grog invents a salad called Go Phoebe Po. What? Yeah, it's a uh, Go Phoebe Po, and it's just, uh, what is it? Goat, fish, steak, and pork. So beef is the beef. It's just go Phoebe Poe. And he passes it off at like a fancy thing as like the dish of his uh, like region or whatever. And the person's like, uh, sure. <laughs> uh, so I just looked it up and apparently uh, to make this dish in real life, it's uh, almost 3000 calories. Oh, Jesus. All right. 
Yeah, uh, so sp- I also looked it up because I was also curious. Uh, it's specifically two-week salted goat meat, hickory-kept long angle smoked fish guts, a mix of minced steaks, and salt-cured pork belly. And, of course, by Grog's decree, must always be eaten without utensils. Yeah. That's the type of fun stuff you're not going to get by watching the show, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, a site called Critical Role Stats even went to do the full nutritional value. Not only is it almost 3,000 calories, it also has 400% of your daily saturated fats, uh, 557% of your daily sodium intake, and uh, 200% of your daily cholesterol intake. So, all in all, a very helpful protein. <laughs> a protein, 317%. Okay. You're good for zero sugars though, so it's it's healthy because it has zero added sugars. Yeah, so I won't get diabetes from it. Great, exactly. Just heart problems. <laughs> yeah, you won't get diabetes. You'll just have a fucking heart attack. <laughs> uh, fun fact: the American Heart Association recommends that you consume no more than two thousand three hundred milligrams of sodium per day. This dish exceeds that by four and a half days. <laughs> oh my Jesus. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about on this series specifically? No, I think we covered kind of all the points I wanted to talk about. Yeah, and yeah, I think Vox Machina is just one of those like key corners of D&D that everyone has kind of become aware of, for mm-hmm. better or for worse. Uh, there's definitely been the negative side of it with uh, the Matt Mercer effect, as some people call it, where people saw Vox Machina and Critical Role, and it's like, that's what all D&D is like, which... I didn't manage expectations very well, but at the same time, Matt Mercer is like a D and D savant who knows the rules to an insane degree. That yes, <laughs> the, the one clip that I always love is he was on a game show where they had to uh, be able to identify like what was wrong with the D and D, like D and D rule wise, what was wrong with the scene. Oh, and he found oh, yeah. seven. Actually? Yeah, he found seven things that even the people who set up the question didn't know was wrong. Yeah, it was yeah. find the ten things that are wrong with this sequence of events, and he found fucking seventeen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the him making stuff is always good, and he's really good at like you know improving off it, and then having like you know a full cast of creative voice actors. It's almost like watching a show that they're theatrical about. They're not just playing their characters; they're being theatrical about it, which is great. Yeah. yeah. But I think and it's so, definitely brought a lot of attention to the concept of D&D, to the mainstream that never would have existed otherwise. Yeah, so this wasn't greenlit by Wizards of the Coast or anything, was it? So that's why they can't use uh, well, per it, se it, D&D per se? Yeah, it's not like they have a bad relationship with Wizards of the Coast. In fact, yeah, it's Mercer just makes like, stuff right things. Them. Yeah, it was legally, it gets shady if they start publishing it yeah. under with D&D stuff in it. So it was backed on Kickstarter and it separate like it's not trying to say oh this isn't D or anything like that it's just they had to change the names of things so it's not D names yeah so i'm not saying it would be better if it happened but it would be pretty cool if they got some just straight up backing from wizards of the coast to go ahead with it I so mean, you could they kind of so do. you could straight up just oppose it with more serious D D, I i guess uh, stories like the legend of drizzit series in the book form it's like you've got more serious adventures like that, and then, granted, uh, Vox Machina has serious moments, but you've got a very comical cast to go with it. 
Oh, yeah, and to be fair, D&D, &D, uh, like Wizards of the Coast, do kind of officially back this because there's official 5e books that were made by Matt Mercer to cover the oh, yeah. world of Exandria that are published by Wizards. Mm. In fact, if you go on the D&D Beyond website, uh, one of his like created self uh, uh, classes, the Blood Hunter, is in the website as official work. Okay. So honestly, I think it's just a matter of time until Wizards approaches him with, we want to bring you into the fold fully. We got Forgotten yeah. Whelms, Exandria. We're going to so turn your series into a book. Day. And people are going to buy it. Because I know I would. Well, it definitely doesn't seem out of the question with how much D&D's been branching out into other realms. Like, I know this is the same parent company and that it's both Wizards, but... D&D has been doing a lot of crossover with Magic the Gathering as of late, and that there has been multiple source books of how to tie D&D uh, &D campaigns into Magic the Gathering plane settings. Yep. So they're branching out and adding more and more things to be uh, a part of D&D &D officially. So it doesn't seem out of the question that they would also do that with the works of Matt Mercer. Yep. Well, then... I guess that's all we have to say about the show. Yeah, uh, so I guess we'll get a question here. So I think the best question for this one would be, uh, I don't want to go like predicting things that are going to happen in the Vox Machina storyline, because that's very clear what's going to happen if you have the information. So the question I'm going to have to ask then is, what is your favorite moment that most likely won't show up in the series? <laughs> Yeah, whether it's a moment that they've already passed and it'd be weird for them to go back to, or if it's a moment that is in the future, but there's just no fucking way they're putting it on TV. Let's let's get some of those moments. Yes, because I would love to see those and potentially see if there's a YouTube clip of it somewhere. And of course, if you don't know where the series is going, feel free to just make a random guess of something that seems ridiculous that would be in the series. Feel free to describe your own personal D&D experiences and ask whether or not that will never show up. Not because it's <laughs> too ridiculous for TV, but because it just wasn't a part of the campaign in question. One ridiculous moment I do want to see in the series is uh, Grog being crowned the Grand Poobah of all of this and that. That probably will happen, honestly. Yeah, that really doesn't seem does. out of the question. Uh, do we have answers to our question from last episode? Pulling it up right now. Uh, I believe our question was less of a question and more so a demand that people recommend underrated manga to us. Yep, we, so we had uh, two answers for this one on Instagram. Uh, the first one we had is from Tachi underscore Camargo, and they recommended Sakura Cardcaptors. Okay. That's a name I haven't heard in quite a while. Yeah, I think maybe the Ranma rule that Matt emplaced on this one kind of applies this one, where I believe it was mm. pretty popular because Clover is just popular in general. But yeah. I, I don't think Sark Carcaptors is their most well-known series. I think that's probably Holic or Subasa Chronicles, I would assume. Yeah. What was our second answer? Uh, so this was from Hana J underscore thirteen, and they recommended Monster Masune Everyday Life Chapter Forty Nine. Oh. Um, hmm. A specific chapter. Specific. I, I have some guesses as to it. which monster that specific chapter is about. I couldn't mm. say. I no I, way I, to I, know for sure. 
But yeah, uh, and there will never be a way to know for sure because I'm not going to read it. I mean, the recommendation, so you have to go with it. Yeah. You demanded it, and you have to. You've got to follow that. through. Now I can just be a fucking shitty lord of the land who demands things and then doesn't make use of the things once they're given. I can be a bad person. That's fully allowable to me. If we might lose our fans that way, but I, I'm allowed to do it. I know where you live. Do you? Yeah. You know where I used to live. Have you been to my place since I've moved? Yeah. I don't remember it, which makes me more suspicious of that sentence. <laughs> Not that you're lying, but that you're telling the truth, and now I need to know how exactly you know. I mean, he, he didn't say he was invited when he was there. That's true. That He didn't say that. He didn't say he didn't follow me home after seeing me out in a boat one day and just followed me home and watched my host for a week at a time. He didn't say that. Just to deduce where exactly you live. Hey, yep. You're just putting words in my mouth. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm explicitly <laughs> saying you didn't say those things. <laughs> if anything, he's just giving you an alibi. Yes. If anything, I'm taking words out of your mouth. That sounded inappropriate. I'm sorry. You're just making up tales. Uh, uh, no, I'm so... pretty sure whoever invented uh, Sonic invented tales. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> Uh, so we did have one guess for what this episode was about. This one was also from Hana J underscore thirteen, who suggested the Mothman. Uh, yep, close. Oh no, he turned into a seagull. Uh, closer to Mothman, and by that I just mean wings. Yep. Got like a million. Uh, you heard it here first. Seagulls are genetically closer to Mothman than humans. Good to know. Um, is it recommendations? <laughs> I don't care, Keith. <laughs> uh, yeah, recommendations. What do we got, guys? I'm going first. Uh, because fuck you guys. That, that's how that's working. Please don't. Uh, so I am recommending uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderland's uh, one shot uh, fight against Dragon Keep. I forget the exact name. Uh, but it's the uh, old DLC for Borderlands 2, where you play through a and d arc uh, as Borderlands characters, uh, except it's been spun off into its own uh, individual standalone game. Uh, this is still the DLC, it's just its own thing, but it's a great way to warm yourself up for Tiny Tina's Wonderland coming out at the end of this month. I think it's three weeks from when we're currently recording is when it comes out. Um, so two weeks from when this goes live. No, that's not how time works. Uh, so an amount of time from when this goes live. Um, but yeah, uh, the one shot, it's a great little thing. Cause it's another one of those things where it fully takes place within the world of the D and D campaign, but you still get all the hints to the D and D being played around it. So definitely got those fun, enjoyable motifs. Uh, and also is just a fun game. Uh, so I'm going to recommend, and this is in the D&D sphere, Boulder's Gate 3. Oh, that is also in the D&D sphere, yeah. Uh, Boulder's Gate series has always been really good, and this game like takes all the D&D stuff, and I feel like this might be one of the few Dungeons & Dragons games that actually feel like conclusive to what you're doing when you play the pen and paper game. Yeah, obviously it still doesn't fully capture the vibe because that's just not going to be doable. Yeah, there is in limits. A computer still, but... game, there are limits, but it 
definitely, I, I haven't played it a huge amount, but I've played a very limited amount of it. And it definitely uh, feels very close to the end. Yeah, it's probably the closest a game has gotten that's not just you being like in a, like a VR setting or something like that with one of those tabletop games. Yeah. And I guess it's my turn for a recommendation. Nope. <laughs> nope. You don't get to recommend one, <laughs> okay, Matt. Then. Sorry. All right, then. Thanks for listening. Wait, but I'll, rather I'll, than I'll a recommendation, it. can you make a suggestion, Matthew? I can make a suggestion. I'm going to suggest the game I've been playing, Elden Ring. Because, obviously, it's a fantastic game. Dark fantasy setting, as... Uh, you should expect from developers like FromSoft, aka the creators of Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, Sekiro, Bloodborne, you know, that whole uh, suite of games. If you like any of those games, you're going to love Elden Ring. Uh, I'm not fully sold, Matt, but uh, is there Maidens? There are Maidens. Oh, then maybe. Now, do you start with Maidens, or do you have to earn Maidens? You start Maidenless. Horrible. Just like my real life. But one quickly offers you an accord, so you get to drive off into the sunset. A Honda Accord? <laughs> that seems a little busted in a game about fantasy worlds. Yeah, dark fantasy world, but you're driving around in your fucking old 2006 beater Honda Accord. I feel like you could probably beat a lot of fantasy creatures with a Honda Accord if you use it properly. I think so. Yeah, I suppose it depends on your definition of use it properly, but I would tend to agree. You could probably defeat a lot of fantasy monsters with it. Use it properly in the same way that Ash Williams does in Army of Darkness. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up before this gets a little bit more insane. Well, if you like the episode, make sure to like, favorite, subscribe, and write a review. Pass it on to your friends. Word of mouth is always the best way. If you yourself have a question or would like to reach out to us, you can reach us at whatismypodcastabout at uh, gmail.com. That is spelled the way words normally are. You can also reach out to us on Instagram, where we update on new episode recordings, so you can take a guess at what we're going to be talking about next, as well as uh, images when the episodes come up themselves. You can also locate the YouTube uh, on YouTube the episodes as they come out on the bi-weekly basis. That one's for Matt. You only get the one. Thank you. Can't believe you started bowing to that madman's demands. And of course, make sure to tune back in in a fortnight. And uh, hmm, what can that next episode be about? Uh, well, we're hopefully gonna change people's perceptives, uh, perceptives, change people's perception of our podcast uh, by going back in time and writing the wrongs of our past. <laughs>